There are three kinds of energy policy which are muddled together in the current disputes and debates about what to do about net zero, indeed what to do about energy security, and the affordability debates which have hit hard uh, for most customers in this country. The first lot are those who believe that the way to do energy policy is to just set targets. So decide that you're going to be net zero for electricity by 235, or in Labour's case, 230. Decide you're going to be net zero for the whole economy by 250. And then energy policy is just whatever it takes to get from here to there. Now, in this approach to energy policy, what we might call policy option one, there are two sorts of people. One lot are what we might call the naive optimists. These are people who believe it's all the route to the land of milk and honey. It's all going to happen for free. It's going to be cheaper, cleaner, more secure, more affordable. You know, nothing to challenge the delivery of this policy framework. We'll get to net zero. Renewables are going to be, what, 10 times cheaper already and or three times cheaper or whatever the current gas price compared to renewables costs indicates. It's not going to cost to electrify transport because, well, hey, by using electricity in your car, you're going to escape the clutches of the assumed highly volatile and ever-rising fossil fuel prices. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And, of course, wind plus solar plus possibly a little bit of nuclear are going to make sure that we have a secure domestic supply. And when that doesn't work, hey, we can import French nuclear or hydro from Norway to patch it all together. Well, if it's true... Great, bring it on, because it means that we don't need any policy. It's going to happen anyway. You know, we didn't need a policy for Apple to produce the iPhone. We didn't need a policy for Google to come up with their search engine. You know, these things are just going to happen because, you know, rational capitalists are going to say, hey, this is a fantastic investment. Let's get out there. And investors are going to flow away rapidly from the fossil fuels. So, The irony about the naive version of targetry for energy policy is you just don't need any policy. Just leave it alone. It'll happen. Maybe remove some distortions, but then petrol and diesel, for example, are massively taxed. And so it's not even clear that the so-called barriers are quite what people who adhere to this policy approach believe. Now, there's other people in this first block of targetry for energy policy, who are a lot less naive. These are people who believe that it may well cost us a lot. It may well require a lot of intervention and a lot of subsidy. But we ought to do it because we ought to address climate change. And they believe that by setting targets, what that does is produce the outcome that'll cost whatever it costs. And too bad if it's not, quote, affordable, because what it means is that to live within our climate and environmental means, what we would need to do 
is to cut our consumption accordingly. We would have to take a hit, but so what? We ought to. Now, in this more rational approach to the first type of energy policy, the targetry, there is a need to go somewhat further. It's much tougher than even quite a lot of people in this box think it is. Why? Because it's carbon consumption that matters, not carbon production. You know, where's the steel that was produced in Port Talbot going to come from? You know, is it really all going to come from scrap metal? You know, if we need a big military build-up, as we almost certainly will do now, uh, given the threats in Europe and elsewhere, you know, where's the steel for the tanks going to come from? And once you start to think this through, where's the fertilisers going to come? Now we've closed most of our fertiliser factories. You know, where's all the petrochemicals going to come from, all the other stuff? Well, they're going to have to be paid for as well, and that's where carbon border adjustments come into play. And remember, even on the most questionable assumptions, the difference between carbon production and carbon consumption is nearly 50%. That's added on top of what's currently required. Oh, and by the way, we shouldn't exclude DRAX from the numbers either. And so again, the mountain to climb is tough and hard. So targetry makes sense as a energy policy option, provided you're honest about what it actually means and provided you're prepared to tell the consumers what they will have to pay. Now, option two is not top-down. This is the policy approach which starts not with high-level targets and then works out that we'll have to pay whatever it's going to cost. It starts the other way around and says, well, how much can you afford? and how best to spend the money that can be afforded. It looks at consumer surplus. It works out how much can be extracted from consumer bills to provide the pot of money, which can then be devoted to getting the best carbon bucks, the best security bucks for the money that's then available. And whether it adds up to net zero for electricity by 230 or 235, or hits the 250 target, well, it's whatever that amount of money can do and how best we can direct it, which gets us as far as we can get towards the target. Now, you might think, well, you know, that's a bit defeatist because in our consumerist ways, we're clearly not willing to sacrifice much for climate change. We're not willing to sacrifice much of our current consumption to mend our ways and live within a sustainable framework for the sustainable economy. It's true. Indeed, you know, anyone who doubts the limitations of affordability has to just look backwards a little bit and just witness something which I thought was unbelievable five years ago, that the government would end up intervening and subsidising, what, half the electricity bills in Britain just to bail out the consumers because they were unable to pay, the bills were unaffordable. And behind that lies a politics too, which you can see all over Europe at the moment, whether it's the AFD in Germany, whether it's the National Front in France, whether it's Gilt Wilders Party in the Netherlands. Across the board, there is a revolt, in inverted commas, against the measures which are being put in place to achieve the net zero targets that the Europeans have set out. 
member countries within the EU have followed too. And that's going to happen here too. Now, you may say, oh, this is just awful because if we just limit to what people can afford to pay or are willing to vote to be forced to pay, then we're not going to hit the targets. My answer is, too right. That's probably the case. It's probably the case that the amount of money that the consumers are willing and able to spend to achieve these targets that are set by the top-down policy approach, well, it's just not going to be enough. And that puts us in a very difficult bind because what it requires is that politicians and campaigners engage in a bit of honesty. They actually engage with the populace and say, you know what, this isn't all milk and honey, this is going to cost you, and explain why it is the case that we should afford measures which take us towards uh, broader climate objectives. But it also beholds all parties to work out what are the best things to spend the limited amounts of money available on rather than pursue the energy policy which we pursue in the UK at the moment, which is, I would describe as, take a pot of jam and spread it as thinly as you possibly can over as much as you possibly can. A little bit to everybody, have a policy for everything. No, what we need is to say, if you spend it on X, you can't spend it on Y. If you really do want a major nuclear programme in this country, then lots of other things will not be able to attract additional funds because there won't be any more. If you want 50 gigawatts of offshore wind, if you want solar at large scale, well, then you probably can't afford to throw money at things like hydrogen and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not advocating any of these things. I'm simply saying that you have to make hard choices and politicians have to present those choices to us and realise that it's not, should we do A and B, it's should we do A or B and try to get the best climate bucks, the best energy security bucks for the amount of money that's actually available. Alternatively, of course, we could reach for a dictator who could tell us what to do and not worry too much about the niceties of democracy. But that's not a good model either. Now, I have to add a third option, and this is the really dangerous option. This is the sort of stuff that people in, for example, Just Stop Oil sometimes seem to believe. Not always, but some of them do. It is that we should just literally stop oil. We should stop gas and we should stop coal. Well, we've basically done a bit of that. We've done coal and well done. But stop gas? These are the people who think that, you know, it's a great idea if instead of drilling for gas in the North Sea, we import LNG. Now, if you look at the difference between the two, Forget the balance of payments and other issues about the fact that we're generally internationally living well beyond our means and importing uh, contributes to that balance of payments problem. Forget that for a moment. The environmental impacts of compressing gas and shipping it around the globe and then decompressing it and putting it into the system are even worse than the environmental impacts of uh, uh, pipeline gas. Which do you want? Well, Just Stop Oil would say we don't want any of them. 
Have they ever thought what would happen politically, socially, in terms of poverty, economic activity, if they actually carried out a policy which says we're going to stop and now or ASAP? It's just not going to work. You can admire the idealism of particularly many young people, but that's not a world we live in. It's not going to happen. And what's more, by advocating such policies, we may actually make things worse than they otherwise would have been. The road to net zero may be paved with extremely good intentions, but it may not result in the outcomes that some people would want. And then in this third category of policy, what I would call the kind of, you know, instant policy, there are those on the right who basically think that it's sensible to question whether in fact the world is warming and whether or not there's a relationship between the concentration of gases in the atmosphere and the temperature. It's perfectly sensible to question the precise calibration of models. But to deny the underlying causal connections is a bit like the flat earthers who deny that the earth is round. And these people are really dangerous because one lot of them says they deny that climate change is happening and then say, so we don't need to do anything. The other lot, which are, in my view, more dangerous, say, oh, yeah, it may well be happening, but you know science is going to crack it. We're going to manipulate the atmosphere. We're going to extract the CO2 from the atmosphere. We're going to have all sorts of space technologies, geoengineering, etc. Don't worry, the science will look after it. Well, that's extremely dangerous. It possibly could, but look at the timescales. So let's just discard both sets of people in option three those who think we should just stop fossil fuels today and those who think that we shouldn't do anything substantially today. We are in the game of option one, targetary, and then the costs will follow, or option two, affordability, and then we do the best we can with the money available. The odds at the moment are on politicians advocating the first and politicians doing the second. What we actually need is a combination of the two, but that requires honesty. Honesty about costs, honesty about the fact we're living beyond our sustainable means, and honesty about the adaptations we're going to have to make, with the science, of course, added. Such a rational debate is one of those things you'd like to happen in years of general elections, global elections, etc. It's the least likely thing to happen, unfortunately. Thank you. Thank you.